because that's not going to take us where I want to go. And so love is to treat others as one would be treated, to keep the commandments, to do good to one's enemies. Now, enemies are those who hurt us, so it could be anybody, uh, anybody who hurts us. Do good to them, and he, strives, he stresses two ways, bless them and pray for them. All right, Lord, this is getting to be, you know, this is where you quit preaching and gone to meddling when you tell me to forgive my enemies. And every one of us in this room is people that have hurt us in our lives, some more than others. Doesn't matter. He says, forgive them and bless them. That's not a request. It's not a suggestion. If we want to have Christ in our lives, we have to learn to do that. It's just a given. It is love for God. And it is love for others and for the world. And lastly, it is love for ourselves. Because it will bring us healing. And the last one is based on the story of the rich young ruler. So in the rich young ruler, you may remember that story. The young man came to Jesus and said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what are the commandments? And the guy reiterated the commandments. And Christ said, do these and you shall live. And the guy said, I've done all these for my youth. And it says, Jesus loving him said to him, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and come follow me. Now, I'm not telling you that that commandment is for all of us. He was speaking to that man individually. But what he said hurt him. And I love it in the movie Jesus of Nazareth. The young man says, everything? All of it? really struck home and they captured that. Jesus loving him said, he told this individual the hard truth. Now I'm not suggesting that love is being obnoxious and offensive. We must always respect, as God respects toward us, the free will of all human beings. But there comes a time for each of us when we have to speak the hard truth of the words of the gospel. And that is love, regardless of what our society says. Our society says, you're not being very nice. Well, it's, it's the hard truth. And we have to be very careful in how we do it. We still have to do it. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of Rev. Tevi, the fiddler on the roof, you know, with his daughters, and they were wanting to marry for love. And he didn't understand that, because his marriage had been arranged. And, in, and as he grapples with this, he, he, he talks about the difference between an arranged marriage and a marriage of love. On the one hand, on the other hand, on the other hand, on the other hand, back and forth he goes with the first two daughters, and the last one marries somebody outside of, outside of Judaism. And as he's battling back and forth, he finally comes to the conclusion that he cannot accept this or bless it in any way without compromising his own principles. And he says to himself, there is no on the other hand really true for all of us as we come to Christ this way we come there is no on the other hand this is not one among many we need to get that straight and it's not being cruel and unloving to say that it's being true and indeed it is in a fallen society that's collapsing morally around us at a very high rate of speed Somebody has to stand up and say, this is the way, walk therein. The words of one of the prophets, by the way, in case you didn't recognize that. Well, what about St. Paul? That was Jesus. We all know about 1 Corinthians 13, don't we? The love chapter. And we also all only tend to 
hear the first two descriptions of love. Love is patient and kind, and we let it go at that. Well, it is. Sounds sort of like nice, doesn't it? Love is patient and kind. But then go on and look at the rest of what he says. Love is not envious. Anybody in here not envious of anybody, anything? You know, what I notice in American politics is politicians appeal to the envy of the people. You're downtrodden and, and suppressed, uh, and, and we even appeal to that. Don't let them go. Envy. Love is not envious. You know, we don't want what most people have. We don't want it. Uh, so we don't want to be envious. Love is not arrogant, prideful, or drawing attention to self. And yet, as we pointed out in other times, the very essence of human sin is self-absorption. Love is not self-absorbed. Love is not rude. Well, that's easy to understand. Love is not self-serving. Love is not entertaining evil thoughts about others. <coughs> How many times do we, do we look at others and things they do to us and we think the worst about them? That's not love. Love is not thinking that. Love is not easily provoked by others. Boy, if anything, others provoke all of us or most of us. Maybe I'm projecting on you, forgive me. I'm easily provoked. Uh, that should tell you something about me. Uh, <clears throat> Love does not rejoice in the sins of others. You know, when we, when we think that somebody's got some major flaw and we wait and we wait and we wait until we see some indication that it really is there, we go, aha! Instead of being sad that that person has fallen, we rejoice in it. According to St. Paul, that's not love. It's not love of Christ. It's not love of God. It's not love of anything. <clears throat> love bears all things Faithfully, he says. Faithfully. It's a part of the Christian discipleship journey that we get. We start out with a, with a bang, so to speak, with excitement and energy and, and, and some kind of experience of God that drives us forward, impels us forward. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's warming and it touches all of our emotions and it's all good. But there comes a time when God will withdraw that and say, follow me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and will fear no evil. What do you think that is? The psalmist had had that experience. And it's commonplace in the Christian life. And this is where most people fall away. Because they don't bear all things faithfully. Love believes with all of one's being. With all of one's being. So it's okay to say, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. It's okay. That's the best we have. But it's not an excuse. It's an admission and a starting point. It is love. It is love for God. It is love for the world. It's love for self. I care enough about my own eternal state, and that I mean from now on all the way into the end of time. I care about how, where it goes and what happens to it. Love maintains constant hope. We always, it's not a matter of putting on a positive outlook. It's a matter of understanding the broad picture, the whole picture, and being willing to see everything that happens to us within that context. 
You know, the fact of the matter is, you and I are just blips on the pages of history. Blips. I study a lot of history. I majored in it. And I see all kinds of people who show up on the pages of history and they make, they make an impression for a very short time and then they're forgotten. How many of you know and remember and met your great-grandparents? Does the world know who they are? No, probably not. For not for most of us. Or even farther back. It's more becoming, it's becoming more prevalent that, that people don't even know their grandkids sometimes. So we're getting separated from that broad picture. And it's enough to break most of us if we don't understand what the picture really is. It doesn't matter in this course of history if we are remembered except in the eyes of God. That's why orthodoxy, memory eternal. May God never forget. May God always remember, and he does. We need to see that in the right perspective. Love sees it in that perspective. Therefore, it has constant hope. And love does all of this, all of this for life, forever. Not just once, forever. And I go back to that opening quote, having said all that. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Far cry different from what the world tells us. And we want to have that understanding. So the Lord is instructing us to learn to love Him. And in so doing, love others, which is love for the world. And ultimately, love self-love for ourselves. What has this got to do with Advent? So we're into Advent. What does it got to do with Advent? Well, Advent is the beginning of what we do liturgically and in the calendar, the reenactment of God's love for creation, in which he does what we call the kenosis, the emptying of himself. He doesn't cease to be God, but he comes down from whatever the transcendent qualities of Godhead are and becomes human flesh so that we can participate in his life and his being. He comes down, and this is the beginning. We tell this whole story of his coming down, constantly coming down, just like we need to come down off our high horses about love and learn to love the way he wants us to. So that starts with the nativity and goes through Pentecost, those events. And he celebrates those liturgically to remind us of this. But it's interesting that prior to the nativity, to the first manifestation, is our preparation, Advent. We begin to prepare, just like the Old Testament is the preparation for the Incarnation. It's preparing. And so we're moving toward this reenactment, and this is the beginning. And it's an experiential journey. It's not something we can talk about ethereal. We have to live it. And one of the first things we begin to learn is the concept of love. Start here. Learn to do this. This is our goal in Advent? Are you kidding? Well, how will we know if we don't begin to test this and learn it? How will we know the magnitude of God's love for humanity in the nativity? We won't. So we'll get into Christmas as being Christmas trees and Christmas lights and, and Santa Claus out in the front yard and that kind of stuff and miss. It's not okay to do those things. But we'll miss the real meaning of it. God has become human so that God became man that man might become God. Not God himself, but like God. That's the essence of the Christian faith. 
I'm going to end it by giving you a prayer assignment during the weeks of Advent. During these weeks, pray for the knowledge and experience of God's love. Pray for it. And don't be afraid. God, God is not going to get us where we can't handle it. He's not trying to break us. He's not out to, and He wants us to win, to be successful. So don't be afraid of it. I remember I used to be afraid to ask God for things I thought He'd make it so unbearable I couldn't take it. Or that I'd lose myself so much that I wouldn't recognize myself. <laughs> I did lose myself, by the way. And I, it, from where I was then, I'd say I would recognize myself now. But uh, it's good. It is so good. So pray for a knowledge and experience of God's love. And our love, everybody, so all of us may come to this, not one or the other. It's not all about me during this time. And then to do these two things faithfully and consistently. That's all that's required. That's all. I'm telling you that's all that's required. That's coming from me, so take it for what it's worth. And I'm telling you that that's all that's required. That's all we really need to do during this Advent is pray those two things. You'd be surprised what happens. And then once you've gotten used to doing it, don't stop when nativity gets here. Keep going. Just keep going. Because that's a part of the Christian journey. So we're, we're once again in the reenactment, in the liturgical celebration, in our prayers and devotions, we are starting over going back to the beginning and starting over. I again go back to that text. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Wow. What an order. And you know what that says to us? That's what God thinks of you and me, that he would give that command to us. Me? Little old me? Yeah. All of us. Everybody in this room. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.